And we're going to welcome Chad to the stage for our All Heaven Breaks Loose series. All right, thank you. One of my favorite songs in the musical Annie is Dumb Dog, Why Do You Keep Following Me? Dumb Dog, Why Do You Keep Following Me? I don't have anything to feed you, not a crumb to give to you. Dumb dog, why do you keep following me? And in the passage today, Jesus is going to echo the words of Isaiah that turns to the religious leaders of his day and say, Dumb dogs, why do you pretend to keep following me? Dumb dogs, why do you keep pretending to follow me? In fact, if you think I'm exaggerating, let me go back to a passage in Isaiah, because I think this passage in Isaiah is going to overlay into what Jesus is thinking and Mark is thinking as he goes into the passage today. Here's what it says in Isaiah. Jesus, talk, um, God rather, talking to the religious leaders of the day, he says, All you beasts of the field, come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen, the spiritual leaders, are blind. They're all ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not representing me. They are all dumb dogs. They can't bark. They can't speak forth what I intended. They're dumb, meaning they literally can't speak the words that I intended for them to speak. Why? Because they sleep, they lay down, they love to slumber. Out of their laziness, they have become apathetic and no longer in communion with me. Yes, they are greedy dogs. They never have enough. One of the things that's keeping them from being the kind of leaders they want to be is greed, lust. It's never enough, a lack of contentment in their life. And they are shepherds, there's this leadership piece again, who cannot understand. So they can't speak my words, and they can't hear or understand my words. They all look to their own way, self-centeredness. Everyone for his own gain, self-centeredness, from his own territory. Come, one says, I'll bring the wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today with much more abundance. And here, God is addressing the spiritual leaders of the day, and he's saying these are dumb dogs. They can't speak on behalf of me, and they can't hear or understand what I'm saying. Because of their laziness, because of their self-centeredness, and because of their greed. If you're a fan of Aesop's fables, Aesop's got a great story of a dog. One day there was a dog, and he had a bone in his mouth in one account. another account, he's got a stake. He's got a stake, and he goes up over the bridge. He looks down over the bridge, and he sees another dog looking up at him. So he growls at the dog. Arr! The dog growls back. Arr! He decides to growl louder. Arr! The dog looks back at him, growls louder. Arr! He sees the stake or the bone in his mouth of the other dog seems a little bit bigger than his, and he wants that bone. He, he's not satisfied with his own stake and his own bone, so he growls louder. Arr! Arr! Pretty soon he decides he's going to have to really open his mouth and let it go. So he barks. Woof, woof. The other dog opens his mouth and the stake falls out of his mouth and poosh, hits in the creek. And the other dog loses his stake too. And in his desire and jealousy and covetousness toward something else, he actually lost what he had. Now that's a dumb dog. The passage today is going to look at dumb dogs that are both mute and deaf. They cannot hear what God has to say and they cannot speak what God has to say. Jesus is going to encounter some greedy dogs, a humble dog, and a dumb dog. 
And you see how all these passages weave together in Mark, but also echo what was going on in Isaiah. And I think the reason we're going to dive into this together is, one, we're going to have a, a test. There's going to be a way in which we can test our own hearts to find out how we may have lost the ability to hear from God or speak for God. It's going to be a leadership test to see if we really are advocating what God wants and other people's interests rather than letting laziness or letting self-centeredness filter into our parenting or into our leading or into our relationships. We're going to find out the key to what God wants. It begins with greedy dogs. Remember, Jesus has just encountered the religious leaders of the day and he's just hammered them because they pretend to be righteous and they are trying to hammer him because his disciples aren't washing their hands properly. And he's really upset at them because he says, you're washing the outside when the problem is on the inside. You're greedy. You put all your money into this security uh, bank that you bless before God so you don't provide for your parents or care for your parents. You pretend to pursue me, but you're really greedy dogs who don't care for your own parents while you make the externals more important than the internals. And Jesus in chapter 7, verse 22 says it this way. For from within, out of your heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. The problem is what's inside comes out. Thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. In other words, you guys are so worried about what somebody drinks or what somebody touches and all these externals. That's not the biggest problem. The big problem of the human heart is not what goes into our body, but what comes out of our body. If you want to diagnose the real problem as God sees it, he says, is that what comes out of you, your words, your comments, your actions, show that there's something broken in you. And you're so worried about how people washed their hands or didn't wash their hands. And I want to tell you that what's coming out of you is covetousness, is greed. You don't even take care of your own parents. And you've developed a system to justify it. And right in the middle of this passage, Jesus mentions they have an evil eye. If you ever use a cross-reference and wonder what a passage means, the Bible really defines itself really well. If you looked up on BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.org and you typed in the phrase evil eye, immediately one of the passages that pops up is a passage from Proverbs. So we say, what does it mean to have an evil eye? Well, Proverbs 28:22 tells us, an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider the poverty that will come upon them. It's greed. So Jesus is confronting the religious greedy dogs of his day, just like Isaiah had confronted the greedy dogs of his day. They had an evil eye, which is an eye that hastens after riches. They're all about themselves, magnifying themselves, gratifying themselves, exalting themselves, rather than being about God's business. Therefore, they were dumb dogs. They could not speak on behalf of God or hear on behalf of God. Now, when I hear the word greedy, I like to think of you know, those people somewhere who are greedy. I'm not like them, right? As Milton Friedman once said, it's everyone else who's greedy, it's not us. But Jesus says to watch out for the various forms of greed, because greed has so many forms, we have to presume we have it. There's low-class greed, there's middle-class greed, there's high-class greed. Greed shows itself in overspending, because I spend more than I have because I'm greedy. It's hoarding. 
because I think my security is found in my savings, so I oversave and rather giving. It's found in a sense of entitlement, a lack of gratitude, a lack of generosity with my time, my treasure, my money. There's so many ways in which greed, money, can distort the human heart. And what happens is greed rarely is the thing that... Well, I've never had anyone come to my office, never, in 20 years, and say, Chad, I really need help with my greed. Not once. It's like a termite under the surface. So the only way to diagnose it is to presume you have it and say, I wonder what form of it I have. But because we don't want to see it, we instead create external structures by which we can pretend and hide what's broken inside of us. In fact, I remember a guy came to our church. I quoted this very passage. We were looking to hire him as a potential staff member. He said, well, I've got to tell you, there's something I've heard about Horizon. I need to get settled right now. I said, all right, well, tell me about that. He said, I heard that occasionally you have people who drink wine or beer and have beer in a Bible study occasionally. I said, well, that's true. Um, he says, what? I can't believe that. That's, that's shocking to me. I said, well, I don't drink because I just don't like it. But, but uh, you know, the, the Bible doesn't take a strong stand on this. Obviously, don't be drunk, but it's okay to drink if you're a Christian. No, it doesn't. He went through this whole litany of why it was wrong to drink. And I said, well, why is that? He quoted the three passages, Ephesians and the one in Proverbs. And I said, what about the one in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy that says, if you can't make it to church with your tithe because it's too far to the temple, take your money and buy strong drink and wine and throw a party and celebrate what I provided for you. He had not heard of that passage. Uh, it's one of the most unpreached on passages, I might add. I said, listen, it's okay. Christians can disagree on this thing. I said, but why have you made that the issue? I said, doesn't the gospel, isn't it inherently about the problem? Is not what we touch, what we drink, what we... It's about what comes out of us is the problem, not what goes into us. And he was just so angry. So why are you so mad about this? I'm not mad that you disagree with me. I remember being on a cruise line, uh, boy, about 15 years ago with one of my um, relatives. And while we are on the cruise line, we were going out to uh, do some snorkeling. And while we are going out snorkeling, some of you heard the story. It's one of my favorite stories, so believe me if you have heard it before. On our way out, there's just all kinds of people having a great time. I mean, they're drinking beer and they're, they're talking about the great snorkeling experience. And he's sitting and just stewing over, just judging everybody in his heart. So what's going on? I, can't, I just can't relate to these people. So what are you talking about? We're going snorkeling. I just don't, don't live like this. I don't drink like this. I don't look like I've got a tattoo. And he's quoting Leviticus to me. I'm like, what? And here's a person who's just judgmental and angry and mad and just sitting there on the boat. Just all mad. He says, Chad, did you know that one drop of alcohol has never touched these lips? Not once. And just pride and arrogance. And, and so here's somebody who has got this external structure that hides the fact that he doesn't even see just how proud and arrogant he is. And I just think God and his angels were laughing at that moment. They said, watch this, Gabriel. The boat hits a, 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 a wave, and one of the guys with a giant pitcher of beer, <coughs> one drip, my uncle, it was over for him, one drop, it touched his, oh my goodness. Oh, I laughed and laughed and laughed. But see, we all do this. We've got these, these rules that we make for ourselves. That we're all pretty on the outside. And God says, I want to look at your heart. There's some issues in your heart. You're not being generous with your body. You're not being generous with your time. You're not being generous with your hands. And you've created a way to justify it. But I want you to become generous people. 
Now, the contrast to that is that Jesus just encountered these greedy dogs, but now has a really weird passage about the humble dogs. And I think Isaiah helps us understand that. Jesus encounters a humble dog. So the contrast is he's just talked to the greedy dogs, addressing them the same way Isaiah did to the leaders in his day. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is a Gentile region. He's just been in the Jewish region, the, the, the convinced of God region. Now he's going to the unconvinced region. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. A woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit. Remember, they were all about being clean. She has an unclean spirit on the inside of her daughter. They were worried about the uncleanness of the outside. The spirit heard about him, and she came, and she fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him, kept over and over again, to cast a demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let me just pause there for a second before we see what he says. The religious leaders had such a brokenness of the heart, they came to Jesus, well, explain what you're doing. You've got some explaining to do, Lucy. You, you owe us an explanation. Where are the religious ones? We know what's going on. Why are your disciples? This is a sense of entitlement and anger and judgment was coming out of them. That was how they approached Jesus. Those were the religious people. This unconvinced lady comes in a totally different way. God, I need help. i got a situation I can't, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. i got a need I can't solve. Help me. Will you just help me? Humility in contrast to pride. And I think the contrast here in the passage is that God wants us to be like this woman. To come to God just in saying, I don't know. I just need you. And Jesus, I think with a smirk, thinking about the greedy dogs he just interacted with, turns to her, knowing the tensions between the Greeks and the Jews. He says, Jesus asked her, well, let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Knowing that the Jews had called the Gentiles little dogs. Knowing that he just dealt with greedy dogs. And I think she, with a wink and a smile, looks back at him and says, well, that may be true. Lord, but even the little dogs under the table get to eat from the children's crumbs. He said to her, for this saying, go your way, you're going to be cleansed. She said, listen, I'm not coming with a sense of my resume of all the good things I've done. God, you owe me. I'll take a crumb. I'll take a scrap. I'm just glad to be here with you. You see, when religion becomes the basis by which you approach God, you get angry at God all the time because you're so mad He's not giving you what you deserve. When you come to God in humility, you come to Him and say, God, I just am glad to be in Your presence. I'm just so happy to be here. I'll take whatever scrap you got. You don't owe me anything. You've already given me more than I could imagine. I'll just take whatever you have. But I've got to tell you, God, i got a need, and I need your help. See the humility here? In contrast to the arrogance of the greedy dog. And again, this woman's not religious. She's unconvinced. And God is using her as a sermon illustration to say, this is the kind of humility I want and when you come to God with that kind of humility, in the same way I'm going to heal her daughter physically, I can heal you spiritually. That all of us have a greedy heart, a self-centered heart, and we need to come to God and say, God, I'll just take a scrap. I'm just glad to be here. I just need you to cleanse me. And he does that. 
He said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon, the uncleanness, has come out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon was gone and her daughter lying on the bed. And this is another heaven has broken loose because Jesus was able to deliver somebody from a distance. He is so powerful, he doesn't even have to be there to do the miracle. This is the power of the God we serve. That when we come to him in humility, his power is released. Power moves in our life. But we've got to first look at our own selves and say, God, there's something broken in me. My view of, of love, my view of self-centeredness, I need help. I was talking to my son, Javen. He's turned 16 here in September. I said, you know, buddy, one of the things we need to get back to is you've got champagne taste and you're always looking to upgrade everything. And, you know, I make you work for it. You pay for it yourself. But we've gotten out of the habit of you taking 10% of the money you earn and, and, and giving it to charity and 10% of it, saving it. I said, we need to get back to that. And, you know, because you don't make a lot of money, I thought, well, I don't want to have to make you do that. But I realized is we all need that. And, you know, Mom and I do that. And we practice giving away 10% of our income. But we need to get back to that. So about a month ago, as we changed for the summer schedule, we switched over to it. I said, here's why. And he said, I understand. So we, we've been doing that again. And, and it, it's actually been really good. For him, even a 16-year-old. And, and here's why God put this idea of giving 10% away as a way to realign our hearts. If you're an overspender, you can always spend more, right? That's the nature of being an overspender. So when you give away a percentage of your income, it reminds you that your money came from God and a percentage of your income goes to God and to other people. It keeps you from being focused on yourself. Now, for the saver, the reason you give away a percentage of your income is because just like an overspender can always keep spending, an oversaver can always keep saving. So when you give a percentage of your income, it helps the oversaver to go, okay, wait a second, I'm trusting in God, not my 401k. I'm trusting in God, not my savings account. So giving a percentage of your income keeps your heart humbly connected to God to say, God, I need to make sure I realign myself, my schedule, my life to your priorities. I think that's the brilliance of it. And as a parent doing it with our kids, it's just a reminder to me of how I keep my own heart aligned to God and dependent upon Him and humble and how I help my kids as well. So we had a great conversation and, and that's continued to be a practice this summer as we've gotten back into it. Now here's what's amazing to me. He just had a greedy dog. Then he had this humble dog. Now he gets to a dumb dog. Now this is incredible because this dumb dog has the exact same physical symptoms as the spiritual symptoms of the religious leaders, both in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day. And I think this man is also a sermon illustration of what, what Jesus will do for him physically is what Jesus wants to do for you and I and these religious leaders spiritually. Look what happens. Again, he departed from the region of Tyre and Sidon. He came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Now, do you remember the last time we were in Decapolis? Oh, you've got to go back six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, Jesus took his disciples over to the Sea of Galilee and they came to the unconvinced, the Greek-Roman side, where the Jews said was unclean. No religious person, no Bible-believing person goes in that place. Jesus steps out of the boat and you remember, his disciples never got out of the boat. They're not going to go over there and talk to those people who have those different beliefs about religion, about marriage, and about all these things. We stay away from those people. Jesus says, I'm going to go help those people. And Jesus heals a demoniac delivers him. The demonic says, great, get me out of here. i got to get out of the capitalist. There's bad people here teaching bad things. And Jesus says, nope, 
You stay there. Stay here. I want to go to the religious area where you live. No, stay there. What do you want me to do? Tell people about the great things God has done in your life. He's not a Bible expert. He's not an Old Testament expert. All you need to do is be an expert in one thing. Tell other people the great things God has done in your life. Now, we haven't heard of the Decapolis in five chapters, four chapters. And suddenly we show up in Decapolis, and look what happens. Then they brought to Jesus one who is both deaf, oh, that's interesting, and mute. He has a speech impediment. So they bring to him somebody who can't hear well and can't speak well. That reminds me of Isaiah. That reminds me of the religious leaders. And then they begged him to put his hand on him. So first question is, who are they? Who's meeting him at the Decapolis? It's like a church church. It's like a church is formed in the Decapolis. Where did that church come from? Our evangelist pastor, the demoniac. For the last four chapters, he has been telling people about Jesus. Oh my goodness, he delivered me. Oh my goodness, he found freedom for me. All my life I've been chained up and I tried all the Zeus stuff and the Dionysus stuff. I tried all the other gods and religions and philosophies of the world and I ended up in bondage. I ended up you know, controlled by my own appetites. But then Jesus came. And he found me in a tomb, an unclean place for a Jewish person. He healed me and he freed me. He said, I want to know a God like that. And the demoniac basically built a church. And the church is so excited to hear Jesus coming. And they all come and they gather on the shore and they're bringing their friends. Oh, we got a friend and he needs your help. We heard you helped our other friend who introduced us to you. we got a friend now who can't speak real well and he can't hear real well. And Jesus... When they begged him to put his hand upon them, he took him aside from the multitude. And this is just so weird. He put his fingers in his ears. Then he spat. And he touched his tongue. It's like, I don't know, the Three Stooges or something, right? There's this weird stuff. But he's specifically saying we're going to work on two things. The ears. And the tongue, just like Isaiah, just like the religious leaders. Because you remember, we'll take one more little hint here before we go on. In the middle of the speech to the religious leaders, he said, here's the key to getting healed of your spiritual problem, your greedy heart. You have to have ears to hear. And you're not hearing from God. So he turns to this guy. He looks up to heaven. He sighed. And he said to him, Hephaestus, that is, be opened. And immediately, Mark's favorite word, his ears were opened. He could hear from God. The impediment of his tongue was loose. He could speak for God. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one. But the one he commanded, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished. Beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He can make make both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And look at this phrase. Jesus is able to open the eyes and ears of someone, which is the antithesis of what happened in Genesis when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and thought they knew better than God. It says their eyes were opened to shame, to guilt, to pain. 
pain and to condemnation. We go our own way and we think our eyes are open to greater things, but we just walk into the darkness of bondage. We need our eyes to be open to see that what we thought was light was darkness. And what we thought was darkness was light. She says, I can open your eyes to what's true. I can help you see what's broken inside you. I can help you deal with not the externals, but the real root of the problem. I can fix your heart. I can forgive it and I can dwell in it and give you the patience and the kindness and the power that you need and desire. Greedy dogs. Humble dogs. A dumb dog who can't speak or hear. Jesus is asking each one of us to deal with our doggone heart. To ask ourselves those questions. You ever seen the, the photograph of dogs playing poker? There's only got three of them, but I like the one of three. I think those are the three questions I like to ask ourselves. In your heart, there's three dogs playing poker, and which one is in control? Is it the greedy dog, the humble dog, or the dumb dog? First question, greedy dog. Am I a greedy dog? Or again, I just think based on Jesus' warnings, the only safe way to deal with this in your heart is to say, in what way am I being greedy? Because the heart is so quick to say, don't even worry about that, that's not you. There's other people deal with that. In what way am I about myself? When I look at my calendar, it's about me. When I look at my checkbook, it's about me. When I walk into a room, do I say to myself, how can I inspire others? How can I encourage others? Or am I insecure because it's about me? What are people thinking of me? How am I coming across? Why didn't you say that? I wonder if they're gossiping about me. What if I came into a room instead and said, how can I be generous with my words? How can I build other people up and encourage people? How can I look at my, my, my way I parent? How can I look at the way in my marriage? How can I stop being so self-centered and greedy? How can I as a leader... Make sure that I'm pouring into others, not using them as fodder for my own exaltation. It's an interesting phrase used here. Remember we talked about the evil eye that the greedy dogs had? They had an evil eye that hastened toward riches and did not consider the poverty that comes upon them. The opposite of an evil eye is a good eye, which is also defined in Proverbs. A generous eye or a good eye is one who will be blessed. It's one who gives of the bread to the poor. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is playing with these two idioms when he says, if you have a bad eye, pluck it out and develop a good eye. He's not advocating taking your eye out. He's using these Jewish idioms to say, if you've got this self-centered, greedy problem, you need to pluck it out and develop a good eye, an eye that gives toward other people and prioritizes God's things. Am I a greedy dog? In what way am I a greedy dog? But am I a humble dog? Here's how you know if you're walking humility. You don't feel entitled when you pray. Your heart is filled with gratitude, not complaints. Joy and thanksgiving, not criticism. You come to God and you're just thankful to be in His presence. You're sharing your needs with Him because He told you to, not because you think God owes you. Appreciation and joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of you because you're just so glad that God would choose you in His mercy and forgiveness. And that humility shows up. You walk into every circumstance in your marriage. You say, how can I serve you? In your kids, you say, how can I serve you? In your business, even though, no matter where you are in the pecking order, your ultimate job is to serve the people that you have influence over. That's what humility looks like. In fact, Harvard Business Review did a study and they found that the number one characteristic of 
who Google looks to hire are those who have humility. In fact, their, their chief operate, uh, people operations says humility is one of the traits he's looking for in new hires. Because in a pluralistic society where people come from different cultures and different backgrounds, humility is what allows people to work together. Those who teach, he says, from their own weaknesses. Hey, I made a mistake like that before. Maybe you could learn from it. Here's what I'm trying to learn. People who engage in what he calls dialogue rather than debates when it comes to decision making. Humility. Third question is, am I a dumb dog? Have I lost the ability to hear from God? Do I look back and go, I remember a time when my quiet times were so strong, I was really hearing God speak to me and whisper to me, but I've lost track of that. Have you lost the ability to, to speak on behalf of God because your, your spiritual life has become dry? And do you need God to, to put His fingers in your ears so you can hear Him again? And His fingers on your tongue so you can speak His grace and His words of forgiveness and peace again, encouragement again? It's a great story. One of my favorites in the Old Testament. David has just become king and he has decided that he is going to go find Saul, his predecessor's family members. And he calls Mephibosheth to the court. And Mephibosheth's like, oh my goodness, I know what happens. A new king comes in place and he kills everybody in the previous lineup so they don't try and overtake his kingdom. So Mephibosheth comes with fear and trembling. He walks into the, to, to the throne room with David and he's like, please don't kill me. I've actually got a physical ailment because I was dropped during the mutiny days. I know you're going to kill me. I know that's what happens, but please just beg you for mercy. Please, please, please don't kill me. And David turns to him and says, kill you. I made a promise to your dad, Jonathan, that when I became king, I would restore to his family all of his lands. Not only are you not going to get judgment, you're going to get bounty. And Mephibosheth looks at David and says, oh, why would you do this to a dead dog like me? What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given to my master's son all that belonged to Saul and to his house. This is the gospel, friends. You come to God, and if you got what you deserve to be judgment for everything you've done wrong, all the things you've hidden in your heart, but when you come to Him and say, I deserve judgment, but if you would deal with a dead dog like me, I'll take what you have. And He throws His arms around and says, not only will I not give you judgment because of Jesus' work on the cross, I will give you bounty. You are an heir to the King of Kings, a joint heir to the God who made the universe. That's the power of grace to deal with what's broken in each of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for dealing with my own broken heart, my own self-centeredness. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit will have freedom to prod into our hearts, to look into the areas of our life that are not yet aligned with you. God, that we'd become people who are both humble, ambitious, and generous, and other-centered as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for being here today. I want to remind you that next weekend's an exciting weekend. We're going to take a break from Mark for just one week because a senator, I'm sorry, Congressman Mark Green is here. He is a doctor. He served in the Army. And he was the last person to be with Saddam Hussein before he died. So he is going to describe a night with Saddam Hussein and what that was like next week here together. So if you want to be part of that, see what that experience was like as a Christian, how he articulated that, that's next week. He came prepared to give some offering boxes on the way out. Thanks for being here. We'll see you all for that next week.